Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's start reading at verse number 18. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Father God, thank you so much for the word of God. I pray now that you would fill me with your spirit and help me today, Lord, to preach uh, just as you would have it uh, said. May I say only those things I should be protected from saying anything I ought not. And uh, whatever you want said, may I say it loudly and boldly and as with as much conviction as possible. Father, this is your word, and I pray it would speak to us today. And I pray, Father, if there are those here today who don't know you as Savior, that they would hear the gospel, they'd understand it, the Holy Spirit would get hold of their heart. And this day they would see it as something that they need and respond. And I pray, Lord, for Christians, that they would also rejoice in all that we have in Christ as we think about these things from this passage. So speak to us today, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in chapter 8 for a few weeks now, and we're almost to the end of it. Lord willing, I, I, I have one more message planned from chapter 8. But, you know, it's just such an important chapter, Romans chapter 8. It's a chapter that everyone loves to quote. Uh, just yesterday, I guess it was, that uh, Tim Tebow got cut by the Eagles. Did you see that? And he tweeted uh, uh, something after he got cut. And here's what he tweeted. He said, Thanks, Eagles and Coach Kelly, for giving me the opportunity to play the game I love. Romans 8.28. Everybody likes to quote Romans 8.28. This may be the most quoted uh, chapter in all of the Bible. I follow a fellow by the name of Bill Mounts. I don't know if I told you about this guy or not. Bill Mounts on Twitter. And he is the head of a wonderful website named biblicaltraining.org. And I highly recommend that if you're interested in uh, knowing more about God's Word. But he tweeted a question this week. Or maybe it was last week. I don't remember. I may have already told you this. But he said, does anyone know what chapter of the Bible over 800 pastors overwhelmingly voted as the Bible's greatest chapter? What chapter do you suppose was the answer? Romans chapter 8. And so, we've taken several weeks now working through this chapter, but there's a reason. It's a big chapter. It's an important chapter. And so I want us to review for a few moments uh, some of the things that we have learned so far from this greatest of all chapters in the Bible. We've learned that the believer will never face further judgment for sin. Uh, 
He's already completely and eternally and irrevocably justified by what Christ did for him. We saw that in verse number one. There is therefore no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We also learn that the Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, changed by the Holy Spirit, and empowered for victory by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. But uh, we learned that in a previous uh, message. We saw that in verse number 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if or since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. A few weeks ago, we learned that because of Christ, we are. We learned that we have a new reality in Christ. We're different since we came to Christ. We're now obligated to serve and live for our Lord. We are family, part of the family of God. We are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. We are some things. And we learned that primarily from verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I think the last time we got together, we learned that because of Christ, we know. We learned that as Christians, we have a new understanding in Christ. We can view the world differently now since we've been saved we now know and understand the brokenness of the world and ourselves and we see how god is fixing it all and we used mr tebow's verse for the primary verse on that one romans chapter 8 and verse 28 we know that all things work together for good to those who love god to those who are the called according to his purpose well today i'd like for us to think about this thought because of christ we have we have. As Christians, we now possess some things that we did not possess before we were saved. We are some things that we were not before. We know some things we could not understand before. We also have some things that we did not have before. And if you look at this passage, you might be able to pick a few more out of there. I don't know, but I want to just concentrate on three. Three things that we have. We have, first of all, the Holy Spirit's guarantee. We have, secondly, the Holy Spirit's prayers. And thirdly, we have a future that is absolutely secure. Let's look at those three things. Number one, we have the Holy Spirit's guarantee. Now, I mentioned a minute ago, we learned already that we are, uh, when we got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came and took up residence within us. We call that being indwelt by the Spirit of God. And every Christian, every born-again believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Think about that. Isn't, isn't that kind of an amazing thought? God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of me. And God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. You are, if you are a believer, indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, you may be sitting here thinking right now, well, I'm pre- preacher, that's just not true. It's not true of me. There's no Holy Spirit living within me. Well, then I have to tell you on the authority of God's Word that you're not a Christian. Because the Apostle Paul is very clear here in this passage that there is, uh, this is not something that's negotiable. If you do not have the Spirit of God living within you, you are not saved. You need to repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance, as, as uh, we read in the book of Acts. Because, uh, you know, without the Spirit of God, you're not saved. Here's where he said it, verse number 8, or chapter 8 and verse number 9. He said, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. That's really very clear. If you are saved, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. If you're not indwelt by the Spirit of God, you're not saved. So, we learned that, and we see it other places as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. 2 Timothy 1.14 says, That good thing which was committed unto you keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwells in us. So we who are saved are indwelt. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. 
And I know in a crowd like this, with uh, people coming from all different backgrounds and different uh, religious uh, and Christian traditions, there's going to be some who are sitting here saying, well, wait a minute now. What about those who teach this somewhat differently? What about those who teach that we need to pray for that? Or we need to seek that? Or we need to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit or some of these other things? Well... I want us to pause for just a moment and clarify that for a minute, because even though it really doesn't talk about it here in Romans chapter 8, it's important. You see, in our Bible, there are some other words, and that's where it gets confusing. Uh, it talks about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It also talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it also talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And before we go any further in understanding what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 8, we need to understand that those are three different things. And so, bear with me for a minute while we talk about those separately. Let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't mention it here in this passage, but let's talk about it. It is not the same as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it is not the same as the filling of the Holy Spirit. That phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is a term that refers to a historical event that took place on Pentecost. And that's the only thing it refers to. A historical repent. Let me let, let me uh, let me read you a quote. This was from one of my professors many many years ago. He said this: "The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subject which is totally misunderstood by a vast number of Christians today. It is an altogether different thing than the filling of the Spirit, in that the baptism is historic. It refers to the constitution of the church at Pentecost. There are seven, possibly eight, verses in the Bible referring to this event." Five are prophetic, one is historic, and two are didactic or teaching passages. But all point to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, which is the historic account of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost descended at Pentecost, ushering in the church age, he baptized all believers into the body of Christ. A historic event. John the Baptist mentioned the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when he mentioned it, he mentioned it as something that was yet future. It hadn't happened yet. He said in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Jesus also mentioned the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he also mentioned it as being future. Although when he said it, he said it's real soon now. That's in Acts chapter 1, verse number 5. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. It was coming up. And then we see that it happened in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. That was the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that historic event. And since then, this is important, since then, every other reference, and there's only a couple in our Bible, to the baptism of the Holy Ghost mention it as being in the past and as being an event that Christians take part in when they are saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 is an example. By one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And they've all been made to drink into one spirit. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now notice, nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. We're not commanded to seek that. Because it's automatic for a Christian. Just like being indwelt by the Spirit of God is automatic. When you get saved, you're indwelt. When you get saved, you will partake in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
And so it's not something we seek. There's another term. We have the indwelling and we have the baptism. There's the term which is the filling of the Holy Spirit. What is that? And again, this is not the same as the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And it's not the same as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In our Bibles, that word filling, at least as it's used here, simply means controlled. To be filled with the Spirit means to be under His control. Under his influence. There's an example that I I like to toss out, which I think kind of pictures it pretty well. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 29, we read that the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And of course, big riot taking place. The city is all tore up. And how does it describe it? It says the city was filled with confusion. Same word. The city was under the control of, under the influence of, uh, a spirit of confusion. Another place Paul compares and contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk. He uses that thought in Ephesians. I'll read that verse in a moment. What is being drunk? Being drunk is to be controlled by some substance, to be under its influence. If you get pulled over for driving while drunk, what are they going to charge you with? Driving under the influence And so to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by Him, to be under His influence, under the sway of. And as such, it's something we need to seek daily. We are never commanded to be indwelt by the Spirit because it's automatic. We are never commanded to be baptized by the Spirit or in the Spirit because it's automatic. But we are commanded to seek the filling of the Spirit of God often. And here's that verse from Ephesians. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be under the influence of wine. Be under the influence of the Spirit of God and seek it. And so, you say that you have trusted Christ and were saved. Well, here's, here's how you can understand this. You were baptized in the Holy Ghost. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And you ought to be constantly seeking the filling of the Spirit of God. That's those three different terms. And what a wonderful possession it is when we think about it. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And think about all that He brings with Him. All the benefits that the Bible says that we have as a result of that Holy Spirit. He is our teacher, the Bible says. Uh, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. He is our teacher. He is our Comforter. John chapter 14, verse 16, I will pray the Father and He shall give you another Comforter. That phrase, that word means one who's called alongside to help. It's a beautiful word uh, in the Greek, our comforter. He produces fruit in our lives. Galatians chapter 5 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. He gives gifts to every believer according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so all these things are wonderful truths about this Holy Spirit who indwells us. But that's not what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 8. He's mentioning one particular benefit. And I want us to notice that this morning. I want you to notice in verse number uh, uh, 23. What he says about the Spirit. He says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves. Paul is saying here that those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, He is our first fruits. He is our guarantee. Our guarantee. Here's how one other commentator explained that phrase, first fruits. A farmer's first fruits were the initial harvesting of his first ripened crops. This first installment was a foretaste and promise that more harvest was to come. 
Similarly, God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling believers is a foretaste that they will enjoy many more blessings, including living in God's presence forever. Another commentator, Mool, says that this refers to the presence of the Holy One in them now, which is the sure pledge of his eternal fullness yet to come. He is our guarantee. One illustration of this might be earnest money. I've bought a few houses in my day, and most of you have probably bought a house uh, sometime. And in every case, whenever I would purchase a house, when I would make the initial uh, offer to the seller, I was required to put down earnest money. And what is the purpose of that? Well, it's to prove that you're earnest. It's to guarantee that you really are going to go through with the transaction. I have found that I live in a place which is a good place to sell things alongside the road. My road has a lot of traffic. And so I've learned if I have a car to sell or something like that, I can usually put it out there and pretty quickly sell it. Uh, if you've ever done that sort of a transaction, or if you've ad, uh, uh, advertised something in like Craigslist or the newspaper, you've probably encountered this thing which I like to call the uh, will-you-hold-it-for-me syndrome. Have, have you ever experienced that? You know, someone will call up and say, I see your, your vehicle there on the road. I'm interested in that. And you'll tell them all about it. And they'll say, are you going to be there tonight? Anymore, I say, I don't know. I might be. Because I have learned that 99% of people will take all kinds of directions and find out all kinds of information. They have no intention of ever showing up. I don't know why that is. It's the will you hold it for me syndrome. And now when someone asks that, I say, sure. If you bring me some money, I will hold it for you. Earnest money. A deposit, because when they give that partial payment, it's a guarantee of sorts that they mean what they say and they'll soon bring the full payment. And that's what we have in the Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit is God's guarantee to us. It's His earnest money that the transaction, which is not yet fully completed, will indeed be. The future glory we have as Christians is sure. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed, and he is that guarantee. An engagement ring would be another illustration of what Paul is teaching right here. When a man loves a woman and he wants to marry her and he wants to pledge to her that he will indeed do that, uh, he demonstrates that by giving her an engagement ring. And she looks at that engagement ring and she knows that it is the guarantee. And you know, this kind of thinking is about the Holy Spirit is mentioned in other places besides Romans 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of his glory. And so we have this indwelling Holy Spirit. He is the first fruits, guaranteeing the harvest that is yet to come. He is the earnest money. He is the down payment, guaranteeing the transaction will yet be completed. He is the engagement ring, the promise of a future, future together with Christ. So we have the Holy Spirit's guarantee. We have something else. We have the Holy Spirit's prayers. Now, I mentioned all kinds of cool stuff that we got when we got the Holy Spirit, right? For us as Christians, we got the fact that He is our, our teacher. He teaches us. He comforts us. He produces fruit in our lives. He gives us gifts. He guarantees our future with Christ. All these things are great, but Paul mentions another amazing thing here, I think. Another amazing thing that we have as a result of being dwelt in uh, by the Spirit, and that is we have His prayers. 
his prayers. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I consider that thought nearly unfathomable. Think about it. God, the Holy Spirit, prays for me. God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling you, Christian, prays for you. Is that an astonishing thought? I can't get my brain around that. And look at how Paul described the Holy Spirit's prayers for us there. He says that he prays for us when we are too weak to pray for ourselves. You ever been there? I've certainly been there. He says he prays for us when we are too confused and confounded and dismayed to know how to pray for ourselves. You ever been there? I certainly have. He prays for us with words we could never come up with on our very best days. He prays for us always according to the will of God. It's amazing. And I, the Bible, you know, promises us answers to prayer. We, we quote these verses all the time. Call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. It's my life verse. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Matthew chapter 7. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. John chapter 14. Whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Matthew chapter 21. We could go on and on. There's so many promises of answer to prayer. And yet, we also know there are some conditions. And here's one. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you always know how to pray that way? Do you always know how to pray according to his will? <laughs> I certainly don't. Sometimes I'm confused about how to pray. Sometimes I feel like I'm just flailing in prayer. You ever feel like that? Sometimes we just want to shout out, what do you want, God? And how do you pray in the will of God when you don't even know what the will of God is? How do you do that? And yet look at this glorious, glorious, glorious truth. The Holy Spirit knows. And when we come to the end of ourselves... And when we come to the place where we don't understand, he jumps right in and he prays for us. And his prayers are always in the will of God. Wow. I don't know. You ought to be encouraged by this, Christians. I certainly am. We have one who prays for us. And he really knows how to pray. I think one of the things that encourages us most as Christians is when we know other people are praying for us. Some of the things I've gone through recently, just that fact has been one of the greatest helps to me. And few things can get hold of my heart, quite like being here on a Wednesday night for a prayer meeting and hear somebody else pray and hear them mention my name as they pray. And it's the same with you, I'm sure. Knowing people are praying for you, knowing someone is praying. And so how encouraged ought we to be when we understand there is one, the Holy Spirit of God, who prays constantly, eloquently, perfectly, proficiently, and successfully all the time. Charles Spurgeon said, those groanings which cannot be uttered are prayers which cannot be refused. So we have the Holy Spirit's prayers. One last thing. Look at verses 29 through 30 and let's notice we have a glorious future that is already established. We have a glorious future already established. Verse number 29, for whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, let's not get bogged down on certain words in there that jump off the page at all of us. Words like foreknew and predestined. Uh, I have preached on that before, and so if you want to, if you want to think about that a little bit, we can we can put that in your hands. But I, I don't want to minimize their importance. They're big words. They're important Bible words, and they have meaning. But I don't want to talk about them this morning because I want us to focus on our topic, which is the things we have in Christ. And so here's what it says: we have. It says we have a glorious future, already settled, already accomplished, and just as unchangeable as if it were in the past. Look at that passage again. Look at the tenses of the verbs. I think it's fascinating. For whom he foreknew, past tense. He also predestined, past tense, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, past tense. These he also called, past tense. Whom he called, past tense. These he also justified, past tense. Whom he justified, past tense. These he also glorified, past tense. All past tense. Already settled. Already done. If you are saved, then in the past, God foreknew, predestined, called, and justified you all. Already done. Oh, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. It also says glorified. Past tense. Have we been glorified yet? Have we received our glorified bodies yet? Are we in heaven yet? We look at that and we say, wait a minute, there must be a mistake in our Bible. It says past tense and it hasn't happened yet. But here's the deal. There is no such thing. As past, present, and future with God. What is promised in the future is every bit as settled as what has already taken place in the past. Your future glory is just as established, Christian, as everything else in that list. Just as you have been justified, you have been glorified. It is finished. It is done. It is secure. It is forever. So... We have learned some things in Romans chapter 8. We have learned that we are some things in Christ. Our reality has changed. We have learned that we know some things in Christ. Our understanding has changed. And we also have learned that we have some things in Christ. Our possessions have changed. We have the Holy Spirit's guarantee. We have the Holy Spirit's prayers. And we have a future that is secure and accomplished and done. Hallelujah. Let me finish this morning with just a warning and a request. Perhaps you've noticed that I've been using a pronoun throughout this, and that's the pronoun we. We. That pronoun we refers to a group of people. It refers to a collective. If I'm at work and I'm talking about my people that I work with and I use the term we, it's referring to that group and only that group. If I'm with my family and I'm talking to members of them and I use the pronoun we, it's referring just to members of that group, that little collective. And with respect to the things we've discussed this morning and all throughout these studies in Romans chapter 8, we refers to those who are part of the church. It refers to the saved, the born again, the blood washed, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We it is an exclusive word. It's a very exclusive word. And so here's the warning. Only those in that group have these benefits. The benefits of that group. Only we who are in Christ have the Spirit's guarantee in His prayers. Only we who are in Christ 
have the settled and secure future. If you're not in the group, your future is also settled. (laughs) It's also secure. But it's not good. It's hell. And so there's the warning. Here's the request. Why don't you be part of the we? Why don't you be part of the we? Join us in Christ. Repent and trust Him. And then you too will be indwelt by the Spirit of God. And then you too will have all of these benefits that we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have.